Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and 45. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Please be seated. Have you ever been praised for something that comes easy to you? If you're like me, it quickly reaches a point that you become embarrassed by it. The person doing the praising is being completely sincere. To them, your recognition is wholly deserved. For you, however, it's like being told, good job for spelling your name right this time. For me, this is usually in relation to singing. I never know what to do when people tell me how much they enjoy my voice because I don't feel like I've done all that much to train it. I haven't put much effort into my voice, and so I feel awkward when people tell me how good my singing is. What about when someone has trouble doing the things that come easy to you? Not when they confide in you, but when you witness their difficulty. How do you respond? If you're like me, there's an internal moment's pause when you reorient to reality and are reminded that you are the beneficiary of talents and experiences. Some of your advantage came by hard work, and some of it, more or less, was handed to you without any effort being expended on your part. Once that realization hits, you choose one of two paths. You make accommodations for your brother or sister or neighbor, or you make excuses for why you can't make accommodation you make the choice to extend or withhold grace. When we talk about grace, we usually refer to the plan of salvation. God extends grace to us that while we were still enemies of the kingdom, his son died for us, that we would be reconciled with God. Let us not overlook the other ways in which God extends his grace to us, the blessings in our everyday lives, our personal histories which led us or are leading us to deeper faith, and in the ways in which he reveals truth to us. Similarly, let us not deceive ourselves in thinking that it is only God who shows grace. As Christ followers, we reflect the light of God to the world around us. And since that light shows us grace, we must likewise show grace to one another and the world. We are at our most unchristian, when we withhold grace from our fellow image bearers, whatever their lack, whatever their offense. What is it to withhold grace? When I refuse in my heart to see the view from someone else's side, that is the beginning of the error. Even when I allow myself to attempt to see it from their view, if whatever merit is found in their position does not move me to adjust my interactions with that person, then sin is knocking at the door. When in my heart I am moved to feel compassion and still, for the sake of pride, refuse to uphold anything other than the status quo, I stand convicted before God, who hears the cries of those who are overlooked. As an example, for my part, I know that I have been guilty of withholding grace from the disciples when they don't get it in the gospel accounts. When Peter acclaims Jesus as the Christ, 
but then rebukes him for talking about his upcoming death on the cross, there's a larger part of me than I care to admit that has some choice words for Peter's brashness and his intellect. When James and John try to get an in over the rest of the twelve and seek the place of honor in the kingdom, I chuckle to myself and deride them in my heart for their complete lack of vision. Whenever Judas says something in character for the betrayer of Jesus, I scoff to myself and say, well, of course he would say that. It's as if I think that I am, I am innately able, without outside intervention, to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one of God most high, and further, to be intimately knowledgeable of all the ramifications of that statement. Was I not the recipient of the same books of the law and prophets as they were? I know that Jesus is Lord. Why couldn't they figure it out? But I forget that I am the beneficiary of a circumstance of history, and that I was born in a time when an additional 27 texts have been codified as canon, providing the accounts which tell me enough of the story that I even have the capability to falsely judge my forebears in the faith. And in those accounts is a statement that humbles me to my core and makes me realize the depth and rankness of my pride. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Have you ever had an epiphany? If you have, then I think you have been the recipient of some measure of the same gifts of the, as the disciples. Whether it is a difficult concept in school, at work, or something that stands as a barrier to your faith. Feeling the wall come down and to have realization and understanding flood in is an unparalleled experience. When it happens because your brain makes a logical connection, there's a feeling of immense relief, like when a heavy burden is put down. When it happens because God reveals some truth to you, there is a sense of awe and humility unlike anything else. The disciples did not have just some truth revealed to them. They had the singular truth unveiled in their minds and made immediately accessible to them. They had some level of knowledge of the scriptures, though the reading from Acts calls St. Peter and St. John uneducated and common men. But whatever learning they had, apart from the grace of Jesus to impart wisdom and knowledge to them, they would still be blind. St. Paul was in fact a well-educated and uncommonly knowledgeable man, but his spiritual sight came only after he was physically blinded and then similarly granted supernatural understanding. What is so humbling to me about this matter-of-fact statement is that it captures the plain fact that none of the disciples from the uneducated and common to the learned and intellectually gifted, none of them were able to comprehend what the scriptures say about Jesus without his direct intervention on their minds. Our ability to have any kind of understanding about how the Old Testament relates to the gospel message is wholly predicated on this revelation to the disciples. Is it any wonder that humanity needed such an intervention? 
The story of grace and salvation in the Bible is alien and strange to the human mind. And in the postmodern, post-Christian West, the temptation to view the scriptures only as historical texts at best further removes us from the ability to understand that story. Some of you were part of the psalm study that Father Ben and I conducted last year and probably remember that there are psalms that are difficult to reconcile to what we know the Christian message to be when they are taken at face value. There are similarly difficult passages in other books of both Testaments, some that are difficult because they seem at odds with what we know about the love of God, and some that are difficult because they offend our cultural sensibilities and post-enlightenment sense of sophistication. Throughout the Old Testament, a major component of the conflict between creator and created is that created humanity has not understood the mind of God. Individual men and women came to rely on God despite their distance. But the most favored of the characters of the scripture were brought into real relationship with God. However, by and large, humanity as a whole, unable to understand the ways of God, rejected him and continually questioned his purposes. Those who chose God recognized that his ways are not our ways, nor his thoughts our thoughts. Those who chose the world sought the comfort of the familiar and rejected that which they could not fathom. You see the same conflict play out in the pre-resurrection accounts in the Gospels. God comes and works his purposes through the Son, Jesus Christ. And humans don't understand what's going on or what is coming. So they mistrust the message and seek their own way. The scribes and Pharisees do this by doubling down on the error they have practiced instead of the truth they preached. The disciples did this by presuming that they could dictate the Savior's ministry and plans, and then when it all seemed doomed, they scattered to save their own lives. By opening the disciples' minds, making visible what ages of sin reaching back to Eden had covered over in the human heart, Jesus works another component of the salvation plan and extends yet another work of grace. The sacrifice on the cross satisfied the law which condemned all of us before God, and the resurrection revealed the supremacy of the living God over death and the grave. This revelation, the opening of the disciples' minds, revealed the purposes and will of God in a way that had not been available before where before had been a parched field that the seed of the gospel struggled to grow in, Jesus watered the field and made it fertile so that no matter what error or false teaching might come later, the singular truth would be known and preached by all who received his teaching and stayed faithful. While we have not received the miraculous clarity about the scriptures that Peter, James, and John were blessed with, we have benefited from it and are thereby recipients of that same grace. For what was revealed to them by divine interaction 
they taught freely to others. And down through the centuries, it was taught to us. Therefore, it is our duty to extend the same grace to those who, for whatever reason, do not have the same assurance we do. The scriptures, rather than being a cudgel to shame and upbraid the ungodly, become a plea and beckon call toward a better way of life. As I wrap up, I must say that none of this means that if you have questions or doubts about the clarity of scripture, that you should doubt your place in Christ. There are many passages that I wonder at and look to more learned minds than mine for explanation. The church is a body. We share in our mutual strengths and seek to build up our mutual weaknesses. The church is the prime beneficiary of the revelation and the church is charged with passing the fruits of the revelation on to all members of the body. Some of you will not need to have every nuance of scripture illuminated to you for you to have deep faith. Praise God. I pray for that depth of trust. Others' faith is shored up and reinforced every time they discover, that is to say rediscover, the ways that the salvation plan is alluded to in the Law and the Prophets. I fall more into the latter camp because it is in my nature to continually look to the root of why something is the way it is. And therefore, I may place more emphasis on this than someone else might, but only because I have seen so much of my God in the study and contemplation of Scripture. May we extend the same grace that we have benefited from to all that we meet this coming week. May we dwell in peace with brother and sister and neighbor. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.